And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host, uh, apologies for not having a 40 Acres and a Fool last week. I was traveling. I was down in the Lone Star State of Texas. It was awesome. Uh, I'll tell you all about it a little bit later on in the program. But uh, we've had some uh, big doings on the farm. And Miss E is here to talk about the fact that we have two fewer hogs here than we had last week. But we have hundreds of more pounds of pork than we had uh, last week. Uh, all uh, uh, occupying like 98% of our uh, freezer space. How you doing, Missy? E? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yes, we did have two hogs picked up on Friday from our, our friendly neighborhood Mennonite butcher. Uh, he has been the one that we've called repeatedly, and he's been great. But we had a different setup this year, because you remember the last time we had our hogs... We had them in a we had them in a dog kennel, dog, we a had double been, sized dog uh, kennel that we just kept dragging around the garden, so they right. would break up the garden. So it's a heck of a lot easier to get a hog out of a contained space, right? Yeah. So this time we had our hogs in about a half an acre, enclosed in five hundred feet of electronet. Mm. So he was even saying when I picked up the packages uh, yesterday that he he was talking to somebody else in his office and he says yeah a lot of times people call me and they say i got a hog ready and they have this big old pen and i'm expected to catch it <laughs> and i was like i didn't expect that at all so what i did was i always keep an extra length of electronet out not used for the hogs to close them in yeah and that way when i have to move their pasture what i do is i throw some food down quick, quickly round them up in that small piece and then move the big net, and that way I just you know have to undo it. I usually keep them keep them in a part of it. Right. So what I did this time was. By the way, we, if you're wondering where I was uh, at, at the time, I was up were, in DC. I was, I was stuck at work. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, I missed all the good stuff. Um, anyway. So anyway, so what I did was is I took the spare electronet and I sort of created a little chute coming out and around the existing fenced-in pasture that we keep them in and i made it so that the butcher just had to back his trailer in and it was comp- it was shut up on both sides with electronet now our hogs have been raised in electronet since they were babies right so they so they, they have know, a very healthy yeah. respect of electronet but they also are very food oriented and they're food driven. very very food driven so what i did was so we got that set up the trailer set up the door open and i opened up the other side of the gate and I grabbed a package of sub rolls from the grocery store, just bread. Hoagie rolls, yeah. Hoagie okay. rolls. The, 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 they love them. And I, it took a couple minutes because they were like, wait a minute here. <laughs> and they'd come in and they'd go out. It was like a little dance. And then I'd drop pieces and I'd walk back a little and I'd drop another piece and I'd back up a little. And we got, we got, well, we only wanted to get Hambone because he was the big guy. Right. But. Dickie is also just as food oriented, so he came running back behind. So we got them in that space, and we kind of got them closer and closer to the trailer. But I ran out of bread. Ah! Uh. So I told the butcher, "Wait a second, I'll be right back." So I ran in the house and got some hog chow and which is pelletized mm-hmm. protein and some corn. And I go running back out. Meanwhile, the butcher is just kind of like, 
right behind them, kind of pushing them closer and closer to the trailer. And as I walk over, they both just hop right in. <laughs> and the butcher shut the do- door on the on the trailer, and we both looked at one another, and we just laughed, like, wow, that was so easy. And then he said, well, did you want the both of them to go? And I'm like, well, to be frank, I'm afraid that if we let Dickie out, he won't be so easy to get in next time, because he'll know. Right. So, yeah. So we ended up with more pork than i was anticipating but too much pork for just one fork as they say well for our family but the nice thing is is between uh brining the bacon bellies and the hams and smoking things i'm gonna try a couple of different techniques to smoke other meats we'll we'll be able to preserve it in different ways yeah yeah but we ended up with so in case you're wondering uh because i know that every time we post pictures of the hogs on the instagram feed which is uh, uh at cam edwards um Everybody asks, how big are they? So the red one is the biggest one. That's Hambone. Yeah. And he was a Tamworth, 75% Tamworth, 25% Berkshire Cross. And on the hoof, he was 308 pounds. Now, how how old was he? He was, what, about eight months? Yeah, they weren't quite a year or maybe a year because the they're, they were all about the same age when Abigail had her babies. They're, he was He and Dickie were about the same age as... Abigail's okay, babies, so they, and they were born in July, so they're a little bit about a, about a year. Okay, but the Tamworths they can go to like eight, nine hundred right. pounds. Yeah, he was go. he was still growing. You could definitely tell he was still getting taller. He was oh, still yeah. getting bigger, but he was getting bigger to a point where it was like, whoa, he's twice as big as the AGs. Yeah, he's pushing them out of the way for food. Right, and frankly, we didn't need to have him be much bigger. No, we have been talking about getting him done all summer long. Right. Actually, so three hundred eight pounds on the hoof, and then two hundred ten pounds of meat. Wow. And I don't get, like, uh, if you go to the grocery store and you have your cute little packages, I don't get the cute little packages. I want the big loins, so the, the I gave him directions to get loins on one side so I can turn it into Canadian bacons and big roast and chops on the other. And we have ribs and picnics and Boston butts and neck roasts, like I didn't think about having a neck roast when we had AGs because their heads are so short right. attached they to their body. They don't have yeah. much of a neck. but. With 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 Hambone, it was like that's a big piece of meat. Mm-hmm. And I also this time got the jowls to make bacon. To make bacon, and it's I can't pronounce it right, so I'm not even going to try. But there's a term for an Italian term for face bacon, basically <laughs> cheek bacon. bacon. <laughs> I was a face bacon. Um, so yeah, so uh, and then so Dicky ended up being 188 pounds and 120 pounds of meat. He was about a month younger than Hambone. And he had to fight Hambone for food. So yeah. if we if we had gotten had rid of Hambone and then fed Dickie for a little bit longer, we probably could have gotten them that big. But we didn't need what three hundred and thirty. Seriously, we have three hundred thirty pounds of meat. I know all over the house. Oh, I know. In every possible location where it can be frozen, and we the have kids, we have a six hog. foot stand freezer that's in the in the an upright freezer, and the kids. Why is the freezer so hot? I mean, is it because it's working so hard trying to freeze everything <laughs> in it? And I'm going in and I'm moving things around and I'm trying to make sure that everything can get frozen. So, yeah, it's crazy. But we're making a lot of sausage this weekend. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then we get to move on to the bacon, right? Yes. Uh, sausage first to get rid of the – to make some space. Mm-hmm. Um, and that – because that's taken up – all that meat's taken up a lot of space in the freezer. And then we'll cut the bellies down and get them brined and ready to go. So uh, anybody local, uh, we might be willing to, you know, swap some sausage for some 
steak, beef. Man, steak, I really beef. would love to know somebody <laughs> local who does grass-fed, because we know a lot of people who have cows, but I right. have yet to know find somebody I can trade well, fucking beef. So this was interesting. Uh, in talking to the processor, there are a couple of interesting uh, things uh, going on with our processor. First of all, he's going through the process uh, himself of becoming USDA certified, which is awesome, because the nearest USDA certified processor right now that works with small farmers uh, is in Harrisonburg, and that is, I mean, that's, that's a drive. That's a haul for people down here. Yeah, in central Virginia. I don't even know where the nearest place would be, like, south of us or east or west of us. So uh, to have someone, you know, right outside of Farmville uh, as a USDA certified processor would be fantastic because but then we could actually sell say, our food. what that means. Right. So it's, it's kind of weird in the state of Virginia. There's an exception for chickens. Right. Uh, and so you as a small farmer, you can uh, process up to 2,000 of your own chickens and sell those chickens to the public uh, without having a, a USDA processor on site. Anything else, whether it's goat meat, whether it's uh, cattle, hogs, Fish, I believe, are the same thing. You have to have a USDA processor. You've got to be USDA certified. And that means that you have to have a USDA employee that is on site at your facility. Uh, you have to build them a separate office space. You have to build them a separate bathroom. There are all kinds of things that you have to do and rules and regulations that you have to follow, which are expensive and, and are prohibitive for a lot of people. Especially for a small processor. Right, exactly. So we tend not to find a lot of uh, processors that work with small farmers because it's easier to just, you know, it's easier to be a big boy in the market as opposed to be a a small independent businessman. So I am super excited. Like, I want to raise more hogs next year just to support this processor. And we had talked about, you know, we didn't make it to the farmer's market uh, this year, Mm -mm. but if we have our own pork to sell, that's a whole other product. So I think, you know, we'll be taking advantage of this. But... uh, I'm really excited about that, the, the fact that he is uh, uh, going the USDA route, hopefully in the spring after deer season is over. But the other thing that he mentioned is that uh, he's not even having local farmers bring him their cattle to uh, to, to butcher That's for themselves. Yeah. Because it is cheaper, they say, for right now with the price of beef the way it is, it's more affordable for these small farmers who are raising their cows to just go ahead and take their cow to market sell it, and then go ahead and buy their steak at the grocery store. I know. That's crazy. It seems like... In, uh, it, that seems like it doesn't make sense. But, yeah, the price of beef is just going up. Yeah. So he's not doing a lot of uh, cattle, and he has, uh, you know, historically done a lot of cattle. So he's hoping that if this might spur more people to start selling their own beef at uh, farmer's markets. Because you see it around here... You know, the lo- if you go to a local farmer's market like in Scottsville, Virginia, you'll see a processor uh, with beef. Yeah. I think there's usually one there. Uh, there's usually somebody selling rabbit. There's usually somebody selling, you know, chicken. But um, there, there aren't that many people that are selling meat because, again, you've got to go through the USDA certification route. Right, and you have to have them package and prepare it, too. So you have to pay the I, – I'm, I'm going to assume that, say, I want to do our sausage. Well, it's my – Recipes. It's my mm-hmm. herbs and spices in combination. So, do I give him the recipe and hope that it works out good, or do I go there and mix it myself and do a taste test? You know, because you know how we make it. We add all the spices and then we fry off a piece. And does it taste good? Does it need something? Is right. it, it's not just this amount of spice for this amount of meat works every single time. Well, so, I guess if you're selling it, 
boy, you better standardize it. You better figure out what the uh, ratio is. Yeah, I guess. I guess I'll be working <laughs> on that this year when I'm making my sausages now, so I know yeah, exactly how much I, I go. Guess. Unless you just sell it and market as you know, Miss E's every time is different sausage. Uh, <laughs> No, the, I have the. It's the same, but like, there's a base recipe, and it calls for X amount. But when you cook it, you're like, well, it probably needs a little bit of extra salt because you don't want right. over season things. No, to I begin know the with. first you time. Can't take away. Salt I remember the first stuff. time we made breakfast sausage. I was having this conversation with Kyle Morgan, our uh, technical director in, in the Farmville studio today, and uh, talking about how the first time that we made sausage, breakfast sausage, it was good. I mean, it was fine. But it didn't taste like breakfast sauces. Like there, you couldn't get that sage. I didn't have enough sage. And then, and the, so the next time we made sausage, we put sage in and we tested it and yeah. then that and that and more and, sage. Got to have right. more sage. I mean, it was almost like three times what the recipe called for. Right. And that was the start recipe. Yeah. But the good thing is, is I keep all my recipes on three by five note cards, and when I have to add things, I cross it out and I add what I'm changing. But yeah, it's a it's a it's kind of a process. Um, and then also what I did wrong last year was I was trying to be more healthful and there's a certain amount of fat that actually has to be in sausage because if you go to cook it to do where it's done right. and then you get this dry it's stuff. It's dry, yeah. crumbly, not And yeah. the butcher says at least 30%. I know I probably wasn't using 10, but I'm not going to 30. Like I might go 20% fat to meat ratio. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want greasy meat. Because it's better for my stomach. Like, I love my sausages because I can eat them because I can't do a lot of greasy stuff. Right. But the mouthfeel isn't quite right because it needs a little bit more oomph in the fat. Yeah. So, I'll be working on that this time of year. All right, listen. We should probably go ahead and, and take a time out. Do you want to stick around? Do you have anything else to do right now for another 10 minutes or so? No, I'm just talking sausage. Is it time to put the kids to bed yet? My Nope, they have a half hour. My All 50th right. birthday. We can talk about that because I know you've been bugging you because I keep talking about it. <laughs> We can talk about that like in a few weeks. We've got a few weeks for that. But we can also talk about your plans for your 50th. We can talk about that as well. All right, listen, we're going to take a a timeout. Missy is with us uh, at the kitchen table. We have uh, a half hour before we have to. Actually, we've got an hour before we have to send the kids to bed. So uh, we are in good shape. Stick around. We will be back with more from the near frontier on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. I will not be satisfied in this case until Lois Lerner and others go to prison. Lois Lerner was allowed to stay on the payroll for a couple of extra months so she would get an even bigger retirement. And now she's sitting her fat ass at her home in Richmond sucking off of her retirement that she got from public tax dollars. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks so much for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. I am here with uh, the lovely Miss E and the talented Miss E, who is just asking as I'm closing files and getting things set up for the next segment, do we really have to, like, do we have to sit here? Or what, how long are these commercial breaks? Do we have to sit here? It, they're as long as it takes for me to close windows and open windows and for the computer to start working. 
But we are back, and we are ready. I also want to thank uh, all of you who uh, checked in via email over the last couple of weeks. The email address, again, is 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. So Miss E has notes here. We were talking about hogs in the uh, last segment. And what are these? What are these notes that I'm uh, looking at? Oh, these are the cuts that I wanted. Oh, the the cuts of meat from mm-hmm. the uh, the hogs. So here. I had I, I Mr. Miller and I got together and I pulled out my big butchery book. Yeah. And I said I want this 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 and this and do you know how to do a crown roast of pork? And he says I don't know that one. I'm like all right, I'm gonna teach myself for next time. <laughs> He's pretty impressed with you. You know that, but most people are. So. I uh, I gotta say, uh, I so should we talk at all? I don't want people to think I mean, we've been talking about the bacon seeds, and you know we can we we kind of like the, the euphemism is they go off to freezer camp. But uh, I don't know. Do you want to get deep and esoteric and philosophical and talk about you know like what it's like to to eat something that you've raised? Well, it's 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 satisfying. Like I'm not like I said thank you to the both of them when we closed them off and he drove away. I said thank you, Hambone and Dicky. Yeah, I, I I said thanks. Like I knew where they were going. I'm not gonna be a big curly crybaby about it. I'm just I get I get a little annoyed by some of my um, Facebook and my air quote friends uh, that I have because they are oh how could you do that? But they're not vegetarians, so to them it's perfectly acceptable to just go buy a package of plastic wrapped meat in their butcher's freezer case at the local grocery store right. and eat that and not know where it came from and then they give me grief about the fact that I'm processing butchering killing cutting up the hogs that I raise from babies and I'm like well yeah um I know where my meat came from I had a name and he's tasty <laughs> Like it's just ridiculous to me, but I think it's just all I, I, the whitewashing of everything. Nobody, you know, you don't die, you pass away, or you go to the other place. You don't. I could come up with a bunch of other analogies, but they probably wouldn't be, you know, tasteful. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. people just don't want the truth is painful. It is. We we are able to, uh, I think, you know, hide behind a. Um, uh, a, a lot of distance. I mean, our daily life is not generally connected to the food that we're eating. No, right? not most people's. Mine is because every single time I go outside, the hogs yell at me because they think it's time <laughs> to eat. The goats yell at me because they think it's time to eat. The chickens are trying to actually come through the fence. They're so stupid because they see me and they think it's food. So, yeah, I'm very connected to my food source. But most people aren't. No. I mean, unless they're, you know, they're thinking of their food source as... The grocery store, and even then, I would argue that they're really not that connected. They probably couldn't tell you the name of a single person who worked at their local grocery store, uh, unless they live in a small town, in which case they, you know, will have conversations with the people. Because I know my produce manager, right? Well, I do too. <laughs> I do too. But uh, it is interesting because you know, as you say, the it's one thing to have a vegetarian or a vegan say, "I think that's awful what you're doing to your pigs." I I don't agree with them, but at least I understand where they're coming from, right? What, and I also am cool with the people who say, eh, you know what, I get my meat from the uh, grocery store, but have fun with that. Right. Like, I'm okay with, I, I understand that point That's of view too. too. Like, but I don't, I'm not who into. get their meat from the grocery store. And, and who say, what you're doing is awful. That. What you're doing is wrong. That, I think, is, yeah. I mean, A, it's really judgmental. It is. Um, but, okay, so if you want to go ahead and say that what, that this is wrong, then. 
I think that you are allowed a rebuttal. I think you are allowed to say, you know what? Everything that we eat in order for us to eat had to die. die. Whether it's a and that is a hard, painful truth, or right? A exactly. Carrot or a beet, they all had to die before we ate them. And you know, to to not have that connection, to not really care or even know or even think to to know or care uh, where your food came from. A like, look, even just from a you know self interest standpoint, I mean, you don't know that factory you don't know you don't know anything about your food and what's worse (laughs) is now the united states government has said it's perfectly acceptable for us to send live chickens to china for them to be processed so that they get sent back to us as meat this is the same country that almost killed their children because they had inferior and sub-quality baby formula and it was government made right like we're gonna trust that our chickens are going to come back, like, not... And plus, the chickens that they're sending. I mean, seriously, if you realize if the chicken farms... Yeah. They're just not... So I saw a picture on the news the other day. It was somebody who posted a picture of this chicken. It was it was old layers. They're, like, two years old. They were getting sent off to get processed and turned into, like, dog food or something. Okay. And, or chicken nuggets. Okay. And they were, like beat up and missing feathers and their beaks are clipped and they look just look wretched and this is where your chicken's coming from by the way go ahead and be happy of eating those mcnuggets now but <laughs> well again it doesn't here's the thing your chickens might not look no. like that but they might look like that yes. and you and again if you've decided that you don't care that's fine that's one thing but don't but, give me but crap don't, about it right but if you decided i'm not going to care about where my food comes from but i'm sure as hell gonna care where your food comes from right. i don't understand that mentality i just it is hypocritical but you know we uh we, we apparently society. apparently apparently it's pretty easy to uh, to to be hypocritical well, but but speaking of chickens though yeah. because of this whole crazy process thing um Murray McMurray has some really good deals going on for their barbecue special so you get like 15 uh broilers for like 13 bucks really chicks okay yeah now they have the another they have a smaller kind and they have a bigger kind of beef bird so I'm looking that's mm-hmm. my next step yeah I know we were talking about doing that in the fall so yep. we better uh, get on it here now that it's September yep um because we've uh, we've processed a couple of our chickens but they were uh, a couple of actually, a couple of them were roosters well, they for were, the most part. I mean, were, we just had too many roosters. They're dual-purpose birds, yeah. So they have to get older before they get big enough to eat. Whereas when you get the types that are raised, their meat, they can be processed between eight and twelve to sixteen weeks. Whereas a regular dual-purpose bird doesn't even get big enough to lay an egg until it's twenty-two weeks old. So they grow faster and they are ready for market a lot quicker. And plus, they are also bred to be food. So they're crosses. Sometimes they're hybrids. And so they have more breast meat, whatever. But they're still smaller birds than you're going to get at your grocery store. You're talking four to seven pounds from the smallest to the biggest. But a couple of them on a rotisserie is a great dinner for our family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, and, and we're also, uh, we are indulging, uh, indulging. I think we're engaging. It's not really an indulgence. We're engaging in some bartering 
uh, with friends as well because we're going to trade a rooster. I think this is a pretty good deal. We're going to trade a rooster for four hens that are almost ready to start laying Laying, eggs. They're not laying yet, but they're almost ready. And now we've got our our fence set up. I'm not worried about these chickens getting eaten before they're ready to start laying. So I think we have we have two roosters right now. We have two roosters and six hens, and that's a ridiculous. Yeah, we should have one rooster for every twelve to fifteen hens. Yeah, poor Silent so, Bob's not. Uh, he's not getting he's not busy. Happy, no, so. he's not. He's the he's the beta male, and he's always been. I'm going to miss him because he's always been good with babies. Mm-hmm. But since they're all caged in now, it's not that much of a di- you know, that's not going to be an issue. Right? But yeah, he's a good he's a good guy. He's two years old. He has a lot going for him. He's pretty, and he's a good rooster. So I think he's going to be happy in his new place. Yeah, I think he will be. So I'm excited about that. So we've got uh, a lot of stuff going on here with the uh, the hogs and the sausage and the uh, uh, the chickens moving in. But it uh, and we've got you know I guess we should talk about the garden. As well, which well, is the garden's sort of dying. Yeah, um, the, we have had a horrible year this year with the tomato plants with blight. The only thing that sort of saved us was that I would say ninety-five percent of the types of tomatoes I grow are indeterminate, which means that they just keep growing. Right. And so what's happening is that the bottoms are dying, but the tops keep growing. So we are getting tomatoes, and we're just not as prolific as we were last year. And right now. All of the larger varieties, the 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 the, the blight caught up with them. So we're getting the smaller so ones. So we're but... getting a whole bunch of cherries right now. Yeah. And... I like cherry tomatoes, but it's hard to make sauce out of cherry tomatoes because there's a lot of seeds and a lot of skin and not a lot of meat at the end of it all. Right. But... We can pickle some more tomatoes. Yes. We, there are a couple of varieties that we have. The chocolate cherries are too thin-skinned to pickle, but the bumblebees and the tigers are a perfect... Uh, thick skin pickling variety. So I'm I'm thinking about this because you know what this year is. Oh yes. Oh, see, nice segue. I can do it. You are you're getting so good at this. <laughs> yeah. What is this radio. year, Miss E? This year is going to be my golden <laughs> anniversary. It's going to be the twenty really to talk about twenty ninth anniversary of my twenty first birthday. Yeah, I'm going to be turning fifty, and I'm. Half Ukrainian, or mostly Ukrainian, or identify as Ukrainian. Not that Irish. there's listen, not that there's anything wrong with turning fifty, by the way. No, I'm no. I'm but I do want to just I do feel the need to point out that I I am much younger than you. Yes. Yeah. So I just, you point just that out often. You have to point that out. I Even was your, though I was the, your little boy I th- toy. I think it's several times when we went to the Oklahoma State Fair. However, at the guest the age booth, I'm not, they always had our ages listen, flipped. I'm, I'm not bringing up who looks older. I'm just saying that you know biologically. You're nine Speaking. years younger. Good for you. That's all. Okay. So anyway, please. So anyway, so I want to do what I've <laughs> what I've been wanting to do for my big birthday is I want I've always wanted to have like a vodka and caviar party, and I have on my cookbook shelf a book on the rush on Russian cooking, and they have a course, and if you think about it as hors d'oeuvres or tapas, they call them zakuskas. 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 And it's just small plates. You have hot and cold hors d'oeuvres. You have a spicy sausage. You have ham. You have perishki, which are kind of like um, little... They're dumplings. Like, they, well, they're not dumplings. They're like more like a pasty. They're like a meat pie. Like ah. dough on the outside with meat on the inside. I grew up eating those. Um, but you have pickles and caviar and herring and all kinds of yummies. And these are the things that I'm like... Ooh. Love it. Herrings and all kinds of yummies. 
Oh, herring and sour cream or pickled herring. I had it when I was a kid at my great aunt and great uncle's place, and I loved it. But then again, I like sour cream, and I like horseradish, and I like all the crazy food that I grew up eating as a kid. So, yeah, totally. So the sausage making uh, this weekend, there's going to be a couple of rings of kabasi set aside for the 50th birthday party. Mm-hmm. There's already pickled beets set aside. There's going to be pickled tomatoes set aside. I have pickles set aside. I made a couple of different kinds of pickles this summer. So it's going to be... A really good end, and oh, we're gonna have a couple of different types of vodka, and we're drinking it Soviet style. Little glasses, whoa, 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 quick whoa. shots. I can't drink anything Soviet style. Yeah, sorry, Russian style. Okay, thank you. Russian style. I'm not. I'm not. This is not a pro commie. No, I wasn't party. thinking that. It was. It was. It was just the word that popped up. Um, but I yeah, know your Russian family style. comes from that area, and so I respect your ancestry. But I want to make sure that there's no communist dimension. No, 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 no. To this, I'll, just, I'll do a reading from Whitaker Chambers Witness. Just to make sure, just to cleanse the air and make no, sure that we have the let's not do that. the anti-communism. But, uh, but Russian drinking of rug, it's not like it's not like a big glass with a lot of ice. You have what's basically like in in the America, it's a cordial glass. Yeah, and you have that size glasses with vodka, and it's drink one it, drink, nibble 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 one drink, nibble nibble nibble. So they do a lot of body gonna, shots in the, in Russia. I don't probably not considering. Have you seen? <laughs> yeah, no. And it's cold. I have to keep your clothes on. Right, so, right. right. Well, I, I'm looking forward to this. Clearly, you are looking forward to this. Well, and yeah. I mean, the, but the thing is, too, is like we live in the middle of nowhere. Like somebody says, man, if there's a recipe that takes you two months to prepare it, that's too much work. I'm like, it's not the recipe that takes the work. It's the it's the accumulation of the right ingredients. Right. And sometimes the it's Conestoga like, wagon uh, train only uh, drops off to the general store like you know once every two weeks. Exactly. And so, if the if the creek is high, then yeah. uh, you know it could be even longer. We're, we're, so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how to reply to that. You can just be excited. You can be excited. You know what you should say I'm next time? I'm excited. I'm 50. It's like you know, I, I was going to say the next time somebody it's, says it's that fun. to you, you just say, "Listen." I can either be upset that I'm turning 50 and I can dread this or I can have fun with it and I can be excited about planning a party where my friends are going to come and the we're going to The only person do- who gave me any grief about the whole idea is you because you said, you just keep talking about this. I'm like, well, yeah, because I'm excited about it, but... No, the, uh, oh, the, the one person the one who person. gave you... But as soon as I said, yeah. hey, it's, it's, it's not about the actual recipe, it's about the accumulation of the ingredients, right. I, gotta, I gotta, oh, I get it. Well, when your birthday's in October and you start talking about it in August, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying is all I'm saying. But I'm excited for the party. That's a good thing, because <laughs> otherwise you might not be invited. <laughs> you might be the valet. <laughs> I'll be parking the Conestoga wagons. You'll be parking wagons. the Conestoga wagons. <laughs> All right, listen, we need to take a uh, another break here. Do you want to stick around, or are you done? I'm done. You're done? I'm actually you're, finished, because you're... cakes are done and people are finished. All right, you're out? I'm finished, Okay, yes. all right. Well, thank you for uh, joining us on the program. It was lovely talking with you. We'll see you soon. Yes. All right, uh, I'm not finished yet, nor am I done, nor am I a cake. <laughs> when we come back... Oh, there's Bullet. He's barking. All right, apparently I'm going to go take the dog outside for a second. When we come back here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the kitchen table, uh, we will get to some of your thoughts via email. The email address again, 40acrefool, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with more coming up right after this. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
Buck Sexton. Iran is going nuclear. It's going to happen within our lifetime. It's going to happen within a generation. It'll probably happen within 10 years. Then we face a very different scenario. While they're telling us there won't be an arms race in the Middle East, of course, John Kerry's also saying, well, we're, we're arming the Israelis with even more stuff, and we're giving them the F-35, and we're giving the Saudis more. We're giving, yeah, we're arming up the whole Middle East, but we're not worried about an arms race. Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, thanks again for tuning in to this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. My uh, wife, Missy, just asked me right before I sat down here, uh, do you want some peach cobbler, uh, homemade, fresh, hot peach cobbler? And so now I really, I do, but I have the podcast to do. So um, if the podcast ends abruptly here in the next uh, two or three minutes, you you know why. It's because there's uh, there's cobbler waiting. Um, all right. I do want to get to some emails. The email address is, as always, 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. Uh, John wrote in a couple of days ago from Oklahoma with uh, a couple of thoughts. Bullet, the happiest dog in the world, has just joined me here at the uh, kitchen table. How are you, Bullet? Uh, John actually wrote about uh, Bullet. He says, Cam, I was wanting to let you know you really need to get a puppy. Bullet needs a buddy. As young as you can get, there's nothing like having that experience if you haven't had the opportunity in the past. And John says, if you want a big dog, I've always loved the Rottweiler. Well, John, uh, I'm not opposed to a a friend for for Bullet here. We do have two dogs. I mean, he does have a little buddy right now, and it's a little buddy. It's a little lap dog uh, named Ruffian who is usually asleep somewhere uh, as I'm recording the podcast, and he's not nearly as happy. And he's, he's kind of like, I, you know, if you ever assign uh, human voices to your dogs, um, he's Peter Lorre. He has a Peter Lorre voice, Ruffian does. And he kind of looks like uh, Severus Snape from the Harry Potter movies. Uh, so we are looking for perhaps a third dog here, another companion for Bullet. Um, likely will be a rescue dog. As a matter of fact, Miss E and my 15-year-old were at a, a pet store this weekend picking up crickets for one of the lizards, and they were doing an adoption uh, uh, affair there, and I was getting blown up with text messages, dogs, cute dogs, puppies, young dogs. I said no, but only for this weekend. Uh, I want to be there. I would actually like to you know, have a voice in picking out the, the next dog. Uh, looking... Again, I think it'll be a rescue dog. Um, think it's. I would like. To, I would like to have maybe a lab uh, retriever mix of some sort. Uh, not opposed to a a rot mix. In fact, uh, there were a couple of dogs that that uh, were some uh, mix of Rottweilers and others. But uh, I would like to have. I, I I'm really looking for that, that 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 lab retriever mix. I think right now, John. John also wrote in about chickens as well, said the uh, wife's on a kick to get some chickens with the price of eggs going up and never having owned chickens before. Uh, is there a particular breed that you could recommend? How much space do you recommend to start? Uh, and do you have a book or a website to uh, help us with the many questions that uh, I know will come up, John writes. So I would say if you want to get about four hens, John, um, as far as the breed goes, Again, we've really liked our Buff Orpingtons. They're really just low-key birds. They're hardy. Uh, they're good layers. They're good people birds. You know, we, we raised our first 
uh, flock uh, in the house for the first six weeks. So they were very much acclimated to humans. And, uh, again, they've just been really, really good chickens. Um, as far as the how much space they need, I you know, look, so we've got seven hens, I think, right now. And the two, we've got nine birds altogether. Uh, they have a yard, a fenced-in yard, that is probably 10 by 8. Uh, 10 feet by 8 feet. And then they have the chicken tunnel which, again, is about 18 inches across, uh, but 44 feet long that they can go down. So they do have some space. I think, you know, look, there are thousands of these chickens that are, you know, crammed into a very small amount of space in a big chicken farm. So how much space does a chicken need? You know, not much if we're talking about need. But if you want your chickens to be free-range or if at least you want them to have room to uh, to roam around a little bit, uh, I'd say, you know, with four hens, again, you want to give them a, a, a few square feet. Uh, the more, the better. I don't think you're going to have too much space. And if you're free-ranging, uh, you really don't have to worry about that at all. If you're not free-ranging, though, just remember you're going to need to supply the nutrition that the birds need. So you're going to need feed. You're going to need some grit. Uh, you're going to need to uh, to make sure that they have uh you know what uh, the 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 nutrients that they need and if you're getting uh, chicks you're going to have to get special chick feed and uh things of that nature uh, you're going to have to worry about vaccinations as well you can get the medicated chick feed or you can vaccinate the chicks yourself um book or a website i would say you know start with mcmurray hatchery uh that's uh, the hatchery that we use for our chickens they have a pretty good chicken fact uh but also just you know look for the uh, the Facebook groups, the the other social media groups that are, are chicken uh, keepers, and look for those groups that seem to welcome uh, newbies to the group and those with uh, uh, all kinds of questions. I think what you'll find, John, is that people are, are very eager to help and they're uh, uh, certainly willing to do so. Now, you might get competing advice, right? depending on how many people you ask. But I don't think you'll have a shortage of people who are interested in helping you out. And, of course, you know the email address. You are always welcome uh, to uh, to ask chicken questions. There are no stupid chicken questions, especially when you're asking a fool. There, there really, there literally is no stupid question when you're asking somebody who's a fool. Uh, John also uh, says regarding the catfish in the James River that uh, Virginia needs to legalize noodling in, uh, in the state of Virginia, which, of course, is when you uh, reach in uh, to a hole uh, uh, on the banks of the river or the creek there, and you pull out with your bare hands a catfish. John says he knows some of the best noodlers in the state of Oklahoma. And the next time I'm there, he'll be happy to take me out. And, John, I would love to just enthusiastically say, yeah, let's do it. But i got to tell you, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little freaked out by noodling. And it's not the thought of actually reaching into a hole and pulling out a catfish with my bare hands, that freaks me out. I could deal with that. It's the fact that it might not be a catfish, John. Because it's not that catfish are the only things that live in holes and riverbanks and in uh, creek beds and there at the the lake in Oklahoma. Right? You could reach into that hole and you could just get uh, uh, gnarled on by a Snapping turtle. You get bit by a a, a water moccasin reaching into that hole. I don't know, man. 
noodling as opposed to uh, rod and reel. I'm, I'm thinking I might be going with the rod and reel, but I, I would love to get out to Oklahoma, John. I would love to be able to say, yeah, that's right, I noodled. <laughs> I reached my hand in there, and I grabbed that catfish with my bare hand. I let it just sink into me, and I pulled that sucker out. I would love to be able to say that. I truly would. So the next time I'm in Oklahoma, John, I'm going to send you an email, and you're going to talk me into noodling, all right? You might have to talk me into it a little bit. Uh, Brian also wrote in, says, uh, Cam, I have a podcast for you to check out. It's called Hardcore History. It says, no connection to it other than being a happy customer, but it's so good I actually pay for the episodes. Really? Hardcore History. Brian says, the free episodes up right now cover the Mongol invasion, World War I, and if I remember correctly, a highly salacious HBO-esque Lutheran rebellion that took over and almost destroyed a medieval city. You know, I, I, again, I think we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. The uh, My son's reading about the Reformation, and the, the Reformation in England <laughs> garnered, like, a, a, a sentence in his history book. I mean, it was awful, the stuff that they left out. This was such an amazing time in European history. I mean, you want to talk about a breakdown of the social order and a breakdown of institutions that people thought were, were permanent and irreplaceable. And all of a sudden, everything, bedrock beliefs, foundational beliefs were being questioned and shattered and rebuilt all across the continent. And uh, there are so many amazing stories of that time period, Brian, including a lot of like um, a lot of little, I mean, I guess you call them cults or sects, um, but a, a lot of these little offshoot uh, denominations that, that popped up uh, and, you know, maybe lasted five, ten years. People all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people declaring themselves to be the son of God. Right. A lot of free love popping up uh, in the uh, immediate aftermath of the Reformation. I mean, it was a wild and wacky time. So I know that there are a lot of uh, fascinating stories in that time period. Brian also says it's uh, also surprisingly apolitical. The uh, Hardcore History Podcast covers history as a teenage boy might enjoy it. Lots of stories about war and combat and the horrors of man. All right, Brian, I will check out Hardcore History. It would be good to listen to some history for a little bit. I've been reading so much history. I finished the uh, the three of the four books of the uh, Lyndon Johnson biography by Robert Caro, and then I was casting about for something else to read, and I, I've been sucked into reading about conservatism in the 1930s and the 40s uh, in the 50s and reading about the the southern agrarians and how the agrarian movement uh, morphed from being this sort of uh, anti-modern regional based uh, uh, back to the land movement and how it is how how it grew and expanded and it, it, it lost its regional uh, nature and it uh, certainly became uh, uh, more uh, ecumenical uh, and available to to all Americans. Uh, how that sort of you know back to the land movement got started because I I know it didn't start in the 1970s with the hippies and the communes. I know that we've uh, had it long before that. I know it didn't start with Joel Salatin, uh, as awesome as uh, Joel is. I know it didn't start with uh, Wendell Berry. Uh, so I've just been trying to trace that you know back to the land movement 
as far back into our history as I can. And uh, I think I got to go back way further, actually, than uh, uh, the 1930s in the Southern Agrarian Movement. So that's what I've been reading, and it's uh, it's, it's been interesting. It's been uh, kind of a hard slog, I'll be honest with you, on uh, a couple of these books. But uh, it's been it's always fun. It's always fun exploring history. It's always fun uh, learning about uh, you know, new individuals and, uh, uh, what I really like, uh, is to, you know, hear about a, a, a book that was, uh, extremely popular or was considered to be incredibly influential in like 1948. And then I've never heard of it before. Right. Uh, I was reading Robert Nisbet. I don't know if you've ever heard of Robert Nisbet, uh, but, uh, Nisbet was a conservative, uh, in the forties and the uh, early fifties, believe maybe even into the sixties uh, as well. Uh, he wrote a book, uh, he wrote, wrote many books. Um, the, the one that, uh, perhaps was the, uh, most influential from the conservative perspective, I think came out in 1948. It was called, uh, uh, I think it was called Things Have Meaning. No, Ideas Have Consequence. That's what it was. Ideas have consequences. Uh, and the book of his that I'm reading right now is called The Quest for Community, which uh, came out a little bit later. And the uh, the idea, the basic idea that uh, we live in an increasingly individualistic uh, period of time. Uh, that the, uh, the, the old, again, my, much like the time of the Reformation, the, the old institutions are crumbling. Uh, new ones are being built, but they're being built on on shifting sand, not on uh, permanent things. And as uh, man or, 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 or humankind becomes more, if you're politically correct, uh, becomes more isolated, becomes more uh, uh, disillusioned and disenchanted with modern society, uh, and there are no institutions that are uh, equipped or prepared to help that, uh, that individual out in their, their search for uh, for community and for a shared identity that uh that you you come across you you find you know more of these social ills uh more individuals who can't function in this type of society more uh, uh societal ills and cultural problems as we uh search and strive for that community that at the same time we're tearing apart oh it's a really really cheerful book i'll be honest no it's it's not really that cheerful at all, actually. But, uh, you know, it was the beginning of the Cold War. Perhaps it wasn't a particularly cheerful time. One would think that having uh, defeated the Nazis, having defeated the uh, Japanese Empire, that, uh, you know, you would have been able to, I don't know, put on your happy face for more than a few years. But I suppose they launched the Cold War immediately afterwards, ensured that you had to keep your game face on. Anyway, Brian, thank you very much for the... Uh, uh, the tip on hardcore history. I appreciate it very much. All right, we have to take a quick time out. When we come back, I will talk uh, briefly about uh, my trip to Texas. Stick around. There's more 40 Acres and a Fool coming up right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. The emails the media is seeing, and thus we are seeing, are the ones Hillary pre-washed like, uh, stu- you know, denim jeans, you know, stone-dried jeans. She pre-washed these and gave them to the suckers, us, 
We're seeing what she's feeding us. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards continues on the Blaze Radio Network. All right. Thanks again for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. It is so good to have you with us. And I hope that we hear from you as well. I don't know why I'm using the royal we. I hope that I hear from you. Uh, over the next week and uh, we shouldn't take another break or anything i should have a new 40 acres and a fool for you uh, uh in the uh, next week and i do apologize for uh, having skipped a week i was traveling went down to texas uh briefly talking to uh, uh some nra members in the austin area had a wonderful time it was my first time actually in austin i was there for a day i uh, didn't get to see everything that i wanted to see did get to eat some good texas barbecue uh, with Andrew Langer from the Institute for, uh, for Liberty, no, uh, uh, no less, who is based out of Virginia, but was there in Texas on a vacation with his wife and kids, and came over to Austin, uh, and we had great barbecue at a uh, a place, uh, Terry Jack's Barbecue, and uh, they're actually being sued over the the smoke uh, out of their smokers. So we were talking with uh, the guy that uh, one of the guys that runs the uh, the barbecue place he was telling us about the scrubbers that they've put in and all of the things that they've tried to do to uh, to be nice to this uh, individual who's who's uh, suing and uh, now the lawsuit continues even though the EPA has come out like several times and said you guys are fine there's there, there's nothing there's nothing that you can do here you're you're good to go still being sued by someone who is anti barbecue if you can believe that. Uh, I had a chance to visit the headquarters of the Chive in Austin, Texas, which was awesome. And it is, yeah, it's as cool as you would think that uh, uh, that it would be. So uh, that was really neat. I wish that I had uh, been able to take a Murray for President yard sign. Uh, they had these Bill Murray for President yard signs stacked up uh, by the uh, receptionist's area. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, this is something. But I couldn't fit it on in my bag. Uh, and now they've got their... Murray for President website, which is uh, uh, up and running. And, and there, see, I'm telling you, I told you we could have five or six candidates here. Why should Kanye wait until 2020? Kanye is old enough now. Kanye should just get in in 2016. Just open it up to everybody. Why not? 17 Republican candidates. Why not 17 independents? Why not 17 Democrats? It could happen. Anyway, uh, after the visit to the Chive headquarters, I went to the uh, Texas Disposal Systems Exotic Game Ranch uh, outside of Austin. This place is amazing, and it's so cool what they're doing. Uh, Texas Disposal Systems has the trash contract for Austin, uh, and I believe uh, a pretty good chunk of San Antonio as well. And they're, uh, they they uh, work with businesses, and they're open to the public. It's a landfill. Uh, but what they've done with this landfill space, about 2,000 acres, and the, the big landfill plateau that they've been using is about 300 acres. The rest of the land um, fenced off, and they have uh, all kinds of animals from all over the world, uh, some of whom are able to, uh, to... All of them have really good-sized paddocks, but some of them are just out loose. The, uh, the antelope, the deer... They're just running around. The black rhino, the white rhino, they have a nice. They each have a nice big paddock. The uh, giraffes that they have, huge uh, a paddock. Uh, the kangaroos that they have uh, have a nice big place to uh, to hang out in. Uh, it's a really neat facility, and it 
truly is, you know, it's, it's, it's great conservation practices, uh, done by people who are, uh, hunters and, uh, fishermen and, uh, gun owners. But that doesn't mean that they don't care about these creatures. It doesn't mean that they don't care about the, the population uh, of these creatures. And so to, uh, to see these, uh, the respect and the level of care given to these animals, uh, and to see how well some of these animals have adapted to the, uh, weather there in Texas was, was really cool. Uh, it, it also made me very thankful that I only have uh, 40 acres to keep up with because I can't imagine trying to keep up with, uh, the, the hundreds of exotic animals on thousands of acres of land there in the state of Texas. But, uh, the folks at the Texas Disposal Systems Exotic Game Ranch, they do a fantastic job. Uh, managing. And again, I got to meet some uh, fantastic NRA members as well. Uh, great folks uh, who, who uh, not only are, are working with the NRA, but volunteering with the NRA. Um, it was a really, really good 24 hours there in Austin, Texas. I, I wish that I had been able to stay there longer, and I hope that I am able to get there uh, again very soon. But I want to thank everyone uh, who I had a chance to uh, spend some time with for for coming out it was a it was a really great evening and hopefully we'll be able to do it again uh speaking of great evenings coming up september 26th if you are in the central virginia area or if you would like to drive fly arrive by conestoga wagon the uh farmville heart of virginia friends of nra dinner is taking place on saturday september 26th it is my local friends of nra dinner uh i will be there and you can get your tickets you can go online to friendsofnra.org, just click the map. Upcoming, uh, click the map for Virginia. Upcoming dinners, Farmville will come up there. You can buy your tickets online. You can contact Roger Remy if you want to uh, contact a human being and purchase your tickets that way. But uh, we would love to see you there in Farmville. It's going to be a good time. I, I think that uh, uh, we'll have some uh, really cool giveaways. We got the uh, good auction, and it's. Uh, it's always just a lot of fun. This is a fairly new friends dinner in the state of Virginia. I think this is year number three for us. So we are uh, still growing and we would certainly love to see you out there. All right. We do have to uh, step away here. My uh, uh, wife, Miss E, just alerted me to the fact that there's some peach cobbler ready to go. It's ready. And so I'm going to bid you all a, a fond to do. Hope that you have a fantastic week. Until we talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll see you here soon on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.